Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians and to chapter 2 and halfway through verse 6, or yeah, just verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. Paul has just described all the things he didn't do when uh, he was in Thessalonica. He didn't speak to please man, etc., And in verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you'd become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Let's just pray for a moment. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, who is here and whose influence we need, come, we ask, and and shape our minds and hearts, by what you say. Lord, you brought us to life in Jesus by the word of truth in the gospel. And one day, Heavenly Father, you will send Jesus, whose word will judge us according to the gospel. So today, as we thank you for the past and look ahead to your coming, Today, Lord, shape us to live for that same Lord Jesus Christ, whatever the cost, whatever it means for us, whatever we have to shake off and give up, whatever we have to embrace and begin. Lord, by your Spirit, help us to listen and obey. For his name's sake, amen. So we looked a couple of times 
before at First Thessalonians and turning today to these next verses, I want just to begin by reminding us that here was a church family that Paul was deeply, deeply concerned about. Some of his most personal language is found in this letter, some of the relational angst that he felt for these believers in Thessalonica um, in, the, in the next passage, the next time we look at this letter together, we'll see some of that language. Paul's um, mind was just about distracted by thinking that his friends in Thessalonica, whom he had seen respond to the gospel and come to Christian faith, he was just about beside himself thinking that they might have somehow slipped away from Jesus. He needed to know that they were still forging ahead. He longed to find out that they were okay and that they were staying strong and firm for Jesus. And in the case of the Thessalonians, the particular likelihood was not that they were going to just listen to some false teacher and start believing a a, a false gospel. It wasn't that they were lapsing into immorality as in Corinth. It wasn't that they were becoming full of teaching about a kind of higher spiritual existence as with the Colossians. But here in Thessalonica, the danger for them was that they were going to slip away from Jesus by just settling into a cozy, comfortable slightly half-hearted but dead form of Christianity. That was their danger. And that was going to happen, he feared, because they would stop uh, or would lose their focus on that day in the future when Jesus would return and judge all the living and the dead. When that is the future focus of Christian believers, that great day of salvation when Christ will finally redeem all his people through the fires of his judgment. When that's our focus, we live today very differently from if we forget about that day in the future. Cut off the future belief of Christianity And everything is just so much easier and more comfortable and nothing matters as much anymore or different things matter. The other thing that happens to to make Christians slip into cozy, comfortable, deadly, unbelieving Christianity is that we cut ourselves off from our past. And Paul in this passage is very much reminding them of what happened when they came to faith in Jesus. He says, when you heard our message, you received our words not as the words of men, but as the actual word of God, which it really is. You listened to the gospel, and in in, uh, verse 13, thank you, it comes, came to you not as the word of men, but the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And if we forget our past as Christian believers and the fact that 
We came to living faith in Jesus through the powerful work of God speaking life into our souls. And we forget who we have become, then it's much more possible and easy to settle into that cozy existence. In our culture, in, in the UK over the last few decades, we might have recognized this as a kind of mild churchiness without its gospel edge. Or people who are God-fearing, they want to do the right thing and live in the right Christian way, but without ever wanting to ruffle anyone else's feathers or bring them to faith in Christ or to think of them as being in danger without Jesus. That would be too much, too extreme. Let us just be Christian in a way that is okay for us and enables us to kind of rumble along in a quiet, spiritually satisfied fashion, but with no thought of the day of judgment to come or the real work of God's word converting us in the past. Cut off the future, cut off the past, and you can have this very... Well, we've seen it in our culture. We've seen how dead it is. We've seen churches by their dozen declining and emptying and dying and shutting. Cozy, quiet, non-influential Christians who just drift away from Jesus. That was Paul's great fear for the Thessalonians. Could we in Edinburgh North Church kind of sleepwalk into the grave like that as a church fellowship? Of course we could. Of course we could. Be naive to think that we couldn't because we so love to be comfortable. We so love everything to be smooth and, and free from difficulty or pressure or fight or battle. We love that. It's natural. And yet we follow a Savior who said his words in this world were not going to bring peace. They were going to come as a sword and divide people into two. We follow a, a Jesus who, who for his proclamation that he was the Messiah, he was the one who could forgive people their sins, was nailed to a cross for saying that. He's the one we follow. So quiet and comfortable and cozy just doesn't match up with following Jesus, does it? And yet, which one of us doesn't long for a peaceful existence? Which one of us doesn't long for the days when whew, there's no... There's no pressure, there's no deadlines today, everything's fine, everything is good and well in my world. So of course, we could sleepwalk as a church family into the grave. That was Paul's fear for the Thessalonians. So let's look at what he does here. He uses three uh, family metaphors, mothers, fathers, brothers, or brothers and sisters, to get this through to the Thessalonians that when they came to faith, brought to birth by the word of God, 
the ministry of the gospel among them was acting in certain ways and should always act in these ways. If we're not going to drift away from Jesus, if we're not going to cut ourselves off from thinking about the future and the past, the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of God's spirit amongst us should always look like this. It should look like a mother, Paul says, that's what he was like, We apostles, verse 7, were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Look at these three words, gentle, transparent, endlessly selfless. These are Paul rightly says, truly maternal qualities. That quality in a mother that is just part of God's created order that will give and give and give and give night and day and night and day and week and week and month and month and year and year to her children without thinking of the cost or without particularly thinking that Anything much is being given up. There is an endless selflessness woven into that maternal child relationship by God himself, which is, Paul says here, reflected in what the ministry of the gospel is like within the church family. Gentle, transparent, open, endlessly selfless. Not a burden, There's something wrong, isn't there? We detect it, we sense it when a mum is wanting her children to accept that she is dependent on them in some way. Motherhood normally wants to protect children, doesn't want to be a burden to her children. That's that's the, the natural thing, isn't it? We delighted to share with you the gospel and our lives as well, says Paul. And when God is at work amongst believers, those who are proclaiming the gospel and teaching a church family will share word and life, whatever the cost, on and on and on and on, year after year, whatever it means for fellowship and and gospel servant or minister. That relationship of God being at work comes authentically through words and lives being shared. And we instinctively smell a rat when there's someone sharing words, but not their life. We would instinctively sense there's something wrong when there's a mismatch between what the ministry of the gospel in a church is saying and how the ministers of the gospel in a church are living. Shut away, closed, private, protected. That's not, that's not biblical. That's not how God means it to be. Exalted, set apart, cut off from everybody else in a different order somehow. Order is the word used sometimes, isn't it? A clerical order. That's not biblical. 
No, what is biblical is like a mother sharing word and life selflessly, patiently, and for however long it takes. Now, we all recognize that that's how God works through the gospel, but in particular, that's something we want our kids and young people to, to grow up knowing and seeing that when we teach them the gospel, whether it's here in church like you guys or through in Sunday club or at home, when we teach young people the gospel, we're not wanting to hide anything away. We're not wanting to smooth over the difficult bits. We're not wanting them to, to grow up thinking, well, what I believe in church is one thing, but nobody at school believes that, so I have to keep all that hushed up and I'm a bit embarrassed about it. We, we want them to grow up with that kind of transparency that enables us to say to them, this is what God says. This is what the gospel is. This is what we live by, and it's really different to how other people live. That's a maternal teaching of the children in our fellowship that will, that will gently and patiently and transparently share with them every aspect of God's truth from the word go in their lives so that there is never a, a jarring moment for them when they suddenly think, hang on, nobody told me this before. Hang on, I can't, I can't go this way. But onwards and onwards and with more depth and more depth, kids in a, a gospel church family are growing up understanding from the patience and transparency of those teaching them at home and at church that God says this and it's a wonderful thing and it matters like a mother, the ministry of the gospel, like a mother, that will keep the Thessalonians from drifting into a spiritual uh, state of anesthesia or inertia. Secondly, like a father. I'm sure Paul was deliberately saying mother, father, brothers and sisters. I'm sure he was weaving these metaphors in because he wanted this family of God to understand that they are a family with God's word speaking to them in family terms. I'm sure he was wanting that. Seems so obvious, doesn't it, in the pattern of, of what he writes. Look at verses 10 to 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you one-on-one -on -one, as well as collectively as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He's saying to them, you know that when we were with you, that's how we lived. Urging is kind of insisting, requiring, emphatically saying, this is how life is in this family. And the ministry of God's word in a church family is like that, isn't it? We don't come here to 
only ever hear things we agree with or to only ever hear things that we're comfortable with. We come because we know we need God to say, in my family, this is how it will be. I insist upon it and I urge you to accept it. Sometimes God speaks to the church in those tones. This is, this is essential for you, dear children. And Paul was able to say with all integrity to the Thessalonians, you know that that's how we treated you. You know that when you became Christians, that's how life came to you, through, through that kind of ministry that put down in place what God says without apology or discussion. Well, we can all look back to the days when we were children and that's what we needed somebody to do, wasn't it? We needed somebody to put down a boundary, to put it in place and to say that without any discussion, that's just how it is. And that, that comes from someone who loves us more than anybody else ever could. It's encouraging, it's comforting, but it's also insisting and requiring. The ministry of the gospel comforts us when we've got everything wrong and insists things to us when we're falling asleep or drifting. So balanced, isn't it? I remember a a Christian friend of mine telling me that when he was a, a student, he'd got himself into an appalling mess in almost every way conceivable. He phoned his Christian father, and his Christian father jumped on a train and went three hours to see him. Wasn't wanting to discuss it on the phone. And he got off the train and took his son to a railway station cafe, sat down, and the, the son just poured out everything that happened to his father and his father just said this need never be discussed again and got back on the next train that was comfort that said this is forgotten it's forgiven and forgotten on you go there is something supremely wonderful about that kind of comfort that will say what is right and what is wrong, but will also forgive and restore with absolute, authentic love. That's what the ministry of God's Word in a church family is like, and that will keep people like the Thessalonians from falling asleep on their feet. Like a mother, like a father, finally... We become, therefore, like brothers and sisters. It's interesting that Paul moves from describing how he was when he was ministering to the Thessalonians to what they became and what they had then in common with all the other churches, with their brothers and sisters. Look at verses uh, 13 to 16. We also thank God continually because when you became Christians, in other words, when you received the word of God, you became, verse 14, imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. When, we, when God speaks, 
and works and brings people to living faith and knits them into to be brothers and sisters in the church family, that church family looks like any other living church family anywhere you like to see them. Of course, we have differences of culture, of language, of style, but in essence, in essence, we're the same as any other living church family. And what is it that Paul deliberately picks out as the thing that we will have in common if we are if we are not falling asleep spiritually, if we are living and advancing in the cause of the gospel, what is it we will have in common with other living churches? What one thing does he pick out in the text? Do you see it? You became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, colon. You suffered from your own countrymen. If we're going forwards in the gospel, Growing in faith, we will continue to hold on to Jesus even if it means we suffer as a result. He's saying here, whether it's from Jews or Gentiles or anyone else, if you're willing to suffer for the gospel, that is a very strongly indicative litmus test that you are alive in the Lord Jesus and listening carefully to God's word. It's so arresting, isn't it, to be sitting in a room thinking in this way. Are we actually willing to suffer for the gospel? In our subculture of Northwest Edinburgh, suffering means that fuel has gone up to 165 a liter. That's suffering. It's not really suffering at all. We just have to fork out a bit money, a bit more money and have less to spend. It's not suffering. Or suffering is to, to think of what might happen if the Ukraine war spills over into more of Europe. Well, that potentially could cause us to suffer and we become a bit anguished about that. Those are the kind of concepts of suffering that we have or physical suffering if somebody in, in our closest circle is really ill or dying. That's painful. That's when we suffer, which is true. We do. But Paul says here, if you're going to be in, living in common with all my other children in the gospel, you will also experience suffering for the Lord Jesus. So we as a church become a church who can begin to negotiate the possibility of hiring a building to meet in and then suddenly, boom, the conversation ends and it can't happen because we believe certain things about morality and marriage that are unacceptable in our culture. That's just a little beginning and a sign that if you're going to be in a church which is living whilst listening to the Word of God as its authority, that will involve having people in our culture say, no, 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 out, you're unacceptable, we're not having you. And we begin to taste suffering. Or we might need to be explaining to our kids that if they're going to say in school that they're Christians 
and they read the Bible and they follow the Lord Jesus and they go to Scripture Union Group or go to church every Sunday, that that might involve people saying to them all sorts of untrue and cruel things about their beliefs. And that could be adults or children. That's really painful. School is a School is one of the most difficult places to be a Christian, isn't it? But Paul says, if that's true, you're like every other Christian kid in a living church in Scotland. And you might, it might become really painful to be a Christian believer in this world. And we become brothers and sisters with all the other people in, in God's family. Receiving the message, not as the word of men, but as God's word, which it really is, because unless we receive what God says with that level of authority, nothing else will strengthen and keep us when we have that kind of suffering. Nothing less will do than this, that if God is at work amongst us, it must be by his word, changing and shaping us like a mother, like a father, enabling us to become like our brothers and sisters throughout the church. That, that is what it means for God to be at work in a church like this. We can't pretend that we could ever be Christian believers, taking the word of God as our authority and that we'll just have a comfortable, quiet existence. We'll be able to snooze our way into the kingdom of heaven. It just doesn't work like that. We'll snooze our way out of the kingdom of heaven, but not into it. Never works like that comforted and comforting to be in God's family most definitely in all the ways that are deeper and more profound than unbelievers would ever know but comfortable not often in this world like a father like a mother we're becoming like brothers and sisters all over the world so we welcome the work of God's word in our hearts. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this ancient church that was formed by Paul's preaching. Thank you that he was able to openly ask them and remind them of what they knew about his ministry. Thank you, Lord, that they knew when it was pointed out how they had come to faith and that it was through your powerful voice speaking to them. There is not a week that goes by, Lord, when we are not tempted to close our ears to what you say because of the strength of the volume of the voices in our culture. But, Lord, we want, by your grace, to open our ears to what you say and to live for you together, praying for one another this week, 
whatever the cost. In Jesus' name, amen.